0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of A Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson, and today I brought along another one of my friends. I have a new friend, uh, Huda Ilyaski, and... Huda, you are the chief client officer at a firm called Saxon. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the work that you do, but let me first tell people a little bit more about the the organization that you work for. So you work in um, the nonprofit education, healthcare, consumer, financial, all different sectors, but more specifically, you work on strategic communication. Um, You're an expert in that space, and you're gonna share a little bit more about what that looks like in the nonprofit space specifically. And I first want to say thank you so much for coming on board. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. This is a really relevant topic we're talking with all the time about our clients. But Thank you for joining us and lending us some of your expertise today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Tasha. I really appreciate it and um, the warm introduction. You're very kind. So I do work for Saxum. It's a purpose-driven agency, and we work with lots of different clients. And you mentioned a lot of the different sectors that we work on. But um, I'm personally very passionate about philanthropic and nonprofit work, and have worked with nonprofits and, and philanthropic foundations for about 15 years now. And so have extensive experience supporting them with their communications and um, integrated campaigns.
0: Yes, I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about Saxon. What makes your organization's approach or your agency's approach uh, to integrated communications unique uh, compared to other agencies? Maybe they're doing similar type of work. There's a lot of agencies I think that claim to do or at least help to do um, some of these same things. But what makes your firm a little bit different?
1: Yeah, so I talked a little bit about us being a purpose-driven agency. I think that purpose-driven aspect of the work is different. Front. And so we are very passionate about making a difference in the work that we're hoping to accomplish with our clients. Um, we like to say that we're obsessed for good. And so we mm-hmm. focus on impact-driven work. And so how can we um, partner with our clients to really identify those issues that they're hoping to make an impact on? And so mm-hmm. we identify like those objectives that are um, they're trying to solve, and we work with them, um, not for them, to try to accomplish those objectives. And so how can we make a difference in, in that really making a, you know that purpose-driven approach to the work, I think, is really meaningful. And most companies are moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that a lot of agencies have made that shift, but Saxum has really made an intentional effort to take on a purpose-driven approach to our, our work.
0: I love that. I love that language too. I mean, I, I certainly think that's what we do with the charity CFO, the accounting firm um, that I work for. That you know, although I'm not a nonprofit, I only work with nonprofits. So you know, um, the team and myself getting up and knowing that our work is contributing to a greater good stuff certainly makes the work a little bit more meaningful. Um, before we dive in more specifically about strategic communication campaigns, like for some organizations or leaders of organizations that have never even heard this concept before, first, tell us what is a strategic communication campaign? Yeah,
1: so I think that you you said it, it's strategy, right? So it has mm-hmm. to be strategic and I think it all starts with your objectives. So mm-hmm. what are you hoping to accomplish? And I always tell clients that um, it's important for you to be able to answer some of those tough questions, mm-hmm. like what, how do we define success? I often ask mm-hmm. them that question, like how do you define success at the end of this campaign?
0: Yeah. How,
1: what yeah. is success? What does that look like? And you have yeah. to try to imagine that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you can really identify those key performance indicators, um, you know, what are what do the those results look like at the end of a campaign? Um, we talk about impact driven work what does impact look like? Mm -hmm. And so impact looks like impact looks different for different types of organizations. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to make incremental change too. I think a lot of people think it has to be really significant, but meaningful and measurable change Mm -hmm. is just that it just needs to be measurable. If you can, if you can quantify the change that you're making, it can be meaningful for the one person that you've been able to impact. Right. And so I think that's really important is just, asking yourself, like, why are we doing the work? Um, How can we measure the work that we're doing and and really start to develop a plan? Uh, And so that's really important is just asking yourself those really tough questions at the front end. And then Mm -hmm. um, I always ask uh, clients, um, are they willing to innovate and optimize throughout the campaign? Mm -hmm. So just because you start with a given goal doesn't mean you can't change Mm -hmm. your objectives throughout Um, you know, the development of a strategy or a campaign. And a lot of these digital campaigns can be optimized, which is so
0: great Mm -hmm. because if it's not working, go back to the drawing board. Yeah. it's okay, And they're fairly easy to measure once you figure it out. So all the things that you just said, I love because I sometimes think being an accountant, I naturally like to count things, right? I like to measure things. I like to quantify things. I like all of the metrics and I like, and, and I think that in some ways, that made um, me as a founder of a business kind of unique because I always wanted to define what I'm trying to do, figure out a way to consistently measure something, and then hold myself accountable to going back and and actually looking at the data and saying, "Are we moving in the right direction or not?" And I tell people all the time, I'm convinced that that um, has been the the biggest, you know the biggest push for me to be able to be successful has been that measurement and holding myself accountable to it. And I I think that's kind of foreign for some people. I don't think that a lot of people kind of naturally think that way when, especially a nonprofit, right? You just go in and you want to do these services or, or, or help these people in the community without actually really asking yourself why, or maybe you know why, but you haven't really figured out, can I measure it? And there's so many good books out there on, um, on this concept of measuring things and now we're talking about communication here um and being strategic about that but that really can apply to anything right i mean anything can be absolutely largely measured not not everything but a lot of things can and what you can measure um in your business and holding yourself um accountable and making sure that you're going um you're on the right track and if you're not on the right track to your point how do you become flexible and pivot when you need to right so
1: absolutely so we work with words right, and so mm-hmm. um, I always I always challenge um, anyone I'm working with to measure what matters, so I, I think it's important to not just measure for the sake of measurement but make sure that measurement is intentional, so you, mm-hmm. uh, you always want to infuse intentionality around anything that you're doing, so that it goes back to your objectives. Um, but the reality is, you're right, Tasha. Like, there's so many opportunities to infuse measurement and just self-assess, uh, mm-hmm. and there are different ways to measure. So it's not just relying on the data that you're collecting. We, I absolutely think it's important to collect data. If there's if data data is available, you should be collecting it. No doubt about that. But there's ways that you can, you know, gather anecdotal data. Different stakeholders. Uh, so it's important for you to always be assessing your work and then also just thinking about the frequency that you're communicating. So how many times are you distributing certain mm-hmm. materials and uh, making sure that you're quantifying that uh, and seeing does the frequency of distributing a certain type of message work and how many times um, do, you, do you hit your stride like if you, if you send out a specific email um three times does it have greater impact mm-hmm. at, or does it does it really require sending it out seven times you know you can you can test that and assess and see what works and when does it stick and when does it not
0: love that so let's go back uh to the strategic communication campaign what are the important elements of of having a strategic communication campaign what should a leader of a nonprofit be considering when they're thinking about um, creating such a campaign and an intentional, I like that, like the intentional, the strategic part of it. I don't think um, people think about their communication plan as something strategic, um, but but what are the important elements that you should think about?
1: Yeah. So I always like to um, challenge different uh, nonprofit leaders to really not limit themselves. I think that you should be creative, creative in, in different ways. The reality is that um, not, it's not one size fits all. So if you think about your objectives, then you can really innovate and, and pull from different tools. So um, the elements are tactics, right? And so they can, they can look different for different nonprofits. So I wouldn't limit your toolkit. Your toolkit can, you know, email marketing may make sense for a specific campaign, um, but it may not make sense for another. Um, social media engagement, and, and being active on all social media platforms may make sense for a specific campaign, but it all goes back to who are you, what, what message are you trying to convey? Who are you trying to reach? Those, their specific demographics, um, reaching the right um, audience and, and you know, understanding where they are. So meeting them where they are and using the right tools to reach them, right? And so um, making sure that you're giving yourself the flexibility to utilize the the right tools to reach the audience you're hoping to connect with. Um, And and that you're also assessing the objective and keeping your your primary objective um, top of mind. I also think that stakeholder engagement and events and activation is really important and thinking about those really important touch points. um, What do those look like? Those can look like live events or community forums or, Um, what is the call to action? What are you ultimately hoping to accomplish? If it's fundraising, you know, fundraising can take lots of different shapes and forms. Is it a big gala event or is it micro giving? Um, But it all has to go back to your goal and it has to be achievable. And so again, that can look the size of your organization um, and you shouldn't limit yourself. You should really think about what, is necessary to achieve your goals.
0: Love that. So something else I noticed um, with Saxum, you have this thing called social permitting. Tell us a little bit about what this is. Yeah, so social
1: permitting is a solution that our team at Saxum designed, and it's, it's really a process to engage the public in order to secure support for a project or initiative. So if you think about, um, you know, building a community park or advocating for an issue like criminal justice reform or constructing a wind farm. So it it doesn't matter what it is, um, you are going to have to gain trust from a key stakeholder group. And um, social permitting is that, uh, it's really that process that allows you to gain that trust, to, to really get them engaged in that process. And it's just essential for achieving success. And so, uh, if you think about um, you know these high stakes projects, a social permit is not just something that's nice to have; it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, when we think about stakeholder engagement and, and as a part of a larger communications campaign, uh, it's it's really um, something that is absolutely necessary for you to engage in. And I talked a little bit about designing. Uh, with a community and not for a community. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we worked on a, a project that was based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a, it was a park project, it's called Gathering Place. It was named America's Best Park um, uh, recently. And it was a 10-year project, but it started with community input sessions. And the reason it was like you thinking a 10-year project, why, why did it right. take so long? It's because we were designing with a community and not for a community. So it started with community input sessions it was a long construction project um it had a, you know it, it, we dealt with everything from like shutting down one of the busiest streets in um you know a pretty large city to the grand, all the way up to the grand opening of this massive park mm-hmm. and so you think about all of the different components that goes into opening this large community park that is massive um, you, you really do need community buy-in. And there's a lot that goes into an integrated campaign. Um, there were crisis issues that came up that we had to deal with. Uh, you wanted to make sure that we brought the entire community together so that they were excited about it. We took kid first approach. So we had a reading campaign where we uh, challenged all the kids in the entire city to read as many books so that they could help open the park. Um, so we came up with this animated story that um, for every book that a kid read, Um, the largest uh, tree on the property of that park would grow a leaf, and so Mm -hmm. it was this idea that this tree would grow its leaves in order for the park opening, and each one of those kids was able to win a medal, and they were the first to be able to kind of walk into the park when the park opened, and so there were so many interactive elements to get the community invested and engaged in the park's opening. Um, But that's important you know when you think about a social permitting process, the process itself, but also getting um, the buy in of a community it's essential in order for um, the community to not only want to be a part of the parks opening but also to be invested and that takes a full process that you engage in, and we do. Go through a very intentional process. When we think about, you know, you you develop awareness, then you kind of go through this appeal where you you develop community appeal, then you go through this activation, mm-hmm. and then we move into advocacy. So it is this very rigorous process that we go through um, with our social permitting uh, solution. But, um, when we think about integrated campaigns, I, as I mentioned, it's not about limiting yourself. It's about expanding your your campaign's potential, and that's what social permitting allows you to do.
0: I can see for so many nonprofits out there where that might be just absolutely critical in the success of whatever they're trying to do. And And what I think of, you know, we have several clients that have shelters or transitional housing for youth or drop-in centers or I'm just thinking of, you know, operating in a quiet neighborhood and neighbors all of a sudden are outraged. You know, what are you bringing into our community? And it's going to be noisy. It's going to be a distraction. Um, And that's just one of the many elements. But if we're asking for additional dollars, so for schools um, that might be looking for additional tax dollars um, for different initiatives, I could absolutely see where that social permitting is completely critical. And I think where I would imagine, at least from my experience as somebody that tries to pay attention to the industry, but also you know, a donor and a, and a you know, supporter of many organizations, that sometimes the public's not really brought into the conversation until after the plan's already been put together and it's presented and this is what we're doing, knowing that you're going to have to brace yourself for the public um, you know, disagreements uh, and you're going to have to overcome those. But social permitting suggests involving them much sooner in the process, so that you kind of eliminate or at least you know minimize some of that um, you know disagreement, and 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 trade that for more public support. It sounds like so. So are spot on. We actually had to deal with neighborhoods mm-hmm. and
1: communities, mm-hmm. and we think about um, this. This park was actually designed in the middle of a neighborhood, and so mm-hmm. you had. Um, what I would say is probably a more affluent area in Tulsa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Tulsa is historically a racially segregated mm-hmm. community. So you could draw mm-hmm. on the map where, you know, your mm-hmm. Black Tulsans lived, where your Hispanic Tulsans lived, where your white Tulsans lived. And the, the name of the park is Gathering Place. So the intent mm-hmm. of it is to bring all Tulsans together. Mm-hmm. And so it was somewhat contentious. And um, the intent mm-hmm. of the, the the mission of the park was to bring people together. And um, through the social permitting process, we were able to engage the community early and often. So it's not just a one and done. It's not one touch point and then you you stop engaging. It's you have to communicate early and often and make sure that their voices are not only heard, but that they feel engaged in the process. Um, And so you have to give them Outlets. So when we talk about tools and ways to engage, we had to customize the approach. So there was a website where they could provide um, feedback on a regular basis. We had social media channels that were stood up specifically for that phase in the project. Project where there was two-way mm-hmm. communication and dialogue. We hosted forums, community forums, where they could come in and provide feedback um, and you know pinpoint their um, you know their their different points of feedback. We also, when you think about a, a construction project, you usually have mm-hmm. renderings that you display. We created an interactive um, experience. Mm-hmm. We called it the park pod, where they could go into mm-hmm. this immersive experience. And we had these, if you think about um, renderings that came to life because we were able to take uh, footage of what the park looked like um, in its current um. Uh, at that time, there was nothing you know, on the land. And then we were, we were able to um, make those renderings come to life. Um, and and we're able to have them imagine the park of the future. Uh, if you've ever watched Willy Wonka and the, the Chocolate Factory, it was that moment when they walked into the Chocolate Factory for the first time. And we used the song, Imagine a Future. And we play that um, mm. as people were walking into the park pod. And so we got them to imagine a future of what a park would could look like. And so yeah. um, getting them to kind of start to imagine this kind of beautiful park um, that honestly was going to increase the, the cost of, of their house and yeah. um, was going to benefit the community in many ways. And so you saw neighbors who were really reluctant become advocates. And that was the benefit of kind of walking through that process.
0: I love that. And maybe we've talked on it a little bit, um, but but the second part of it, uh, my, my next question is going to be, what's the best way to engage the community? And you gave so many great ideas. Maybe maybe you've already uh, given that part away, but um, maybe there's more other ways, idea. you know, other ideas that you can use to engage the community, but but more so, even if you're trying to engage the community or you're not engaging the community, what are ways that you can determine if a campaign is robust enough? Are you doing enough in a campaign to make it as effective as you want it to? Um, And how do you know that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's important to listen first, take a listen first approach Mm -hmm. in any campaign that you're developing. So um, in the awareness phase of our social permitting solution, we oftentimes will host focus groups or um, community forums or community input sessions so that we can um, make sure that we're oftentimes taking a listen first approach. So the intent of those strategies are to, to really gather as much feedback as humanly possible. And then I would also encourage Um, anyone devising a strategy to create forums or opportunities for continuous engagement and feedback, whether that's standing up a website where they can provide feedback um, digitally. um, uh, There are ways that you can create an app where you can gather feedback. Um, Make sure that your stakeholder, whoever that is, knows that there is an open door for feedback and dialogue mm-hmm. and that is really important if there's an email they can send you know responses to um, we had uh, one of our um, project managers for the park for instance so we're talking about the park I think it's a good theme to continue with um, when we wanted to engage some of the neighbors for instance we had them walk door to door you think mm-hmm. about canvassing. And there was a sensitive topic that we needed to address and so instead of just sending out letters Mm -hmm. um, that were signed with personal information where they could potentially reach out to the project manager we also had Mm -hmm. the project manager reach out um, on with one-on-one outreach and knocked on their door and said Mm -hmm. hey i'm here to share some information you should have received a letter but in case it didn't come in Mm -hmm. case it got lost in the mail we just wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to ask any questions Um, And I think those personal Mm -hmm. outreach efforts really went a long way. And so how can you go above and beyond, even though it takes a lot of effort, but the impact of that is just, you know, that's how you build trust, which is the foundation of of what we try to do
0: from a communication standpoint. To me, it seems creating a two-way dialogue, you know, a a space for somebody to share their thoughts. Simply receiving letters or emails or just announcements on social media, although social media allows us to have somewhat of a two-way, but, um, you know, just the, the traditional way of just sending letters or, you know, kind of announcements or, you know, some sort of newsletter or email blast, I think this is what we're doing. Um, I just don't know how much feedback you're going to get. And what I'm hearing is, is the, the plans that you all put in place and the campaigns that you try to put in place are really more two-way communication, making sure that you get that feedback loop going um, during that whole process. So I I think is what leads Mm -hmm. to a loyal following and Mm -hmm. also
1: helps us accomplish the goals that we've set forth, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's a specific call to action, whether it's we want someone to advocate or um, we are asking them to make a specific behavior change, whatever the ultimate goal is, it's rooted in trust. You have to get them to trust Mm -hmm. you. And so I think, um, that does require a level of transparency and, um, continuous engagement.
0: Mm, I love that. You have to have them trust you. Um, so say I'm a nonprofit leader and I just am getting started on developing a communication strategy for my organization. What, what should I do? What's my first step?
1: I think that, um, any nonprofit leader who's looking to get started, um, they should just kind of map out a plan uh, and going back to what we talked about earlier, ask themselves the questions around what are your objectives? And so what are you hoping to accomplish? And I always like to ask um, really uh, fun questions in a discovery, like if you, um, if you could pick a publication that you would love to see, uh, you know, a story, and like, what are the top three publications you'd love to see your nonprofit mm-hmm. highlighted in? And just mm-hmm. kind of aspirational, right? So, like, what are the top three podcasts like you'd like to be mm-hmm. featured in, or the the top three newspapers like you'd like to be featured in? Because I think it does get them to like dream big, but then mm-hmm. also like, as far as like drafting the headline, like, what would mm-hmm. the headline say? You know, if you're non, you're you're a specific nonprofit. Like, what do you want people to say about your nonprofit? Mm-hmm. And it really gets them to focus on what's the message you're hoping to convey. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you want to be perceived? What do you want your brand to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will help drive home the objective and mm-hmm. get you to really think realistically about what you can accomplish and achieve, because focus and clarity is really important um, mm-hmm. as you start to build that plan. Uh, you know, when Oprah was on TV, the, I think the fallback answer was always like, oh, I want to be on Oprah. And it's like, that's Mm -hmm. not really the appropriate medium for every client. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really do have to think about your target audience and um, you know, how you want to reach them. So I think it's, Mm -hmm. what's the, what's the message you're hoping to convey? Who are you trying to reach? What are, what's the goal? You know, what are you asking? Mm -hmm. What's the call to action? What, what, what behavior are you trying to drive? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can't answer some of those basic questions, it becomes really hard to develop a, a strategic plan, a strategic communications plan.
0: Hmm. Well, that is all really good information to start with for sure. And a different take on how to think about things, how to approach things, how do you approach communication? I, I find the idea of marketing, branding, messaging, communication really fascinating in the nonprofit world because they think in so many ways, what we think we do is so simple. But in other ways, um, again, I'm an outside person, kind of looking in, and I come across lots of different nonprofits. And sometimes I will read their website, I will read their tax return, I will read their annual, you know, uh, annual report, and I still have to ask myself, what do these people do? I don't entirely <laughs> know. It's not super clear, and I'm sure they think it's really clear. So I think it's always good to be asking you know, yourself that question. And I do the same thing, right? For For my business, it certainly isn't restricted to just nonprofits here. But I think nonprofits have a little bit of, a, of an interesting um responsibility to understand all of the different stakeholders, the clients we serve, the people that pay us, you know, for me, that's one of the same. <laughs> the Nonprofit world, it's, it's often multiple parties that we're talking about here. So if a nonprofit leader was interested in hearing more about the work that you're doing, or they realize, hey, we need some help here, we're trying to undertake this really big project, or uh, whatever it is, they need a communication plan, and they wanted to get in touch with you or someone at Jackson, what would be the best way to connect?
1: Yeah. Tasha, I just want to comment on what you just said, because I think it's really great. It's going back to the basics, right? Like who, Mm -hmm. what, when, where, and why. And if we can not answer some of those basic questions, then I think we're in big trouble. But um, the good thing, the good news is that you can reach out to your friends at Saxum. And frankly, Mm -hmm. it's as easy as going to our website, saxum.com, S-A-X-U-M.com. And we would be more than happy to visit with them and offer our support. So. Uh, Really appreciate you having me on today and enjoyed our conversation.
0: Yeah, thanks again. And for everybody listening, we'll catch you next time. Thanks.